Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Enever. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. I am Clive Enever, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Jeremy Britton about flicking your rich switch and transforming. Now, Jeremy started his first business at age 19 and went on to create a dozen startups over the next few years. Along the way, he's made many mistakes and learned many lessons from life about life and business. A heart attack at age 33 had him reassess his priorities around time and money, and he now specialises in balancing work, life, health and spirituality. And Jeremy, I have an advantage over our listeners because I can see you and I can see that the work, life, health and spirituality balancing is not doing you any harm at all. (laughs) Gee, thanks, (laughs) Claude. So how long have you been practising this? See, this is a backwards way of finding out how old you are now, isn't it? How long have you been practising this balancing work, life, health and spirituality? It's 15, 20 years now. So, yeah, it's been a while. It's been good. And I'm closing in. I'm sort of closer to 50 now, but I'm actually in much better health when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And I was actually chatting to someone this morning and said, I used to get the cold and flu inoculation every year because I just couldn't afford to take time off work. Because I used to get a flu. And when the flu hit me, it hit me pretty badly because I was not in good health. But I haven't had a vaccination or an injection since, you know, 2005, 2006. And I also haven't had a cold or a flu since then. My last Medicare expired and I hadn't even used it. And I think in Australia they last for five years or eight years before they expire. And I hadn't been to the doctor at all. No colds, coughs, flus, nothing. So, Well, that's an exceptional result. And for all of you listening here, look, there's hope. There's hope. And we'll see if we can't uh, prize a little bit out of that uh, from Jeremy today because he probably thinks that he's here to talk about business, but we want to know about his health and spirituality and the balancing of work and life. It's something that comes up when people talk to me, work-life balance. Jeremy, most people seem to have the idea that it's 50-50 and I try and show them that work-life balance is the balance that works for you. How do you describe it to people? When I was financial planning, people say, look, I want to be wealthy and I want to be rich and I want to make a fortune. And back then, as a young person, I became a financial planner because I wanted to work with money in order to make money. And I was all about the money. But as you have other conversations with people, they say things like older people particularly, I enjoy an abundant health. I have really rich relationships. And I'm like, oh, okay. So and I'm going to look up the word wealth in the dictionary. And it doesn't say gold and jewels and rubies and Bitcoin and that sort of stuff. Like wealth is anything that you value. That's really interesting because at the age of 33, when I had a heart attack and I'm lying on the hospital table, I had amassed financially, I was successful by world definitions, but my health was obviously very bad. You know, my dad hadn't had a heart attack and he was obviously many years older than me. And I had young children at school and the doctor said to me, you know, if you don't change things, you're going to have another heart attack in the next 12 months and that's going to be fatal. So basically the doctor saying you've got 12 months to live if you don't change things. 
and my relationship was crap, you know, because I had been at work all the time. I hadn't been spending time with my family. And so my marriage ended shortly after I had the heart attack. And it's like really reassessing things and going, well, what's wealth to me? What's important to me? The most important thing to me when I was lying on my back on the hospital table wasn't the money. And going through a six-figure divorce where you know, she got 90% of the stuff and I got 10% of the stuff, it wasn't about the money. You know, it was about, oh, my God, like my heart feels like it's being ripped out of my chest as well as my money's going away, you know. So you really reassess things and say, what is wealth? What is a fortune? What do you want to have an abundance of? And obviously for someone who's been through a big health scare, they want to have an abundant health. And I'm trying to talk to people now like, you know, let's fix the house before it's on fire. Uh, that's, that's a better way of doing things. You know, they used to say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So having, having great health now so you don't get sick. You know, I mean, one of my illnesses was from a cold and flu that I actually just worked through. I kept going to work, kept going to work, even though I had a cold. And I lost my voice. So I had laryngitis and I still went to work and I was whispering to clients on the phone, whispering to clients in person, which is anybody who's a speech therapist knows that's really, it's worse for your voice than yelling is whispering. And I coughed one day and tore my vocal cords. And vocal cords aren't just skin or muscle that grow back, it's cartilage. And so 89 days I had before my vocal cords grew back. 89 days where I couldn't talk to a client and I couldn't work, obviously, and I took the time off, but my body healed very quickly. The vocal cords didn't. And so I was going to the gym every day. I was taking the time to prepare good food. I was renovating my house. I was playing with my kids. I couldn't yell at kids, obviously, because I had no voice. I was writing things down. But it's amazing when you actually take the time to look after your body. And I was one of those people who was always sort of rushing, rushing, rushing. And you just get convenient fast food that you can pick up. You know, McDonald's at four in the morning and McDonald's is open 11 o'clock at night. So that's where I would go to to get some food while I was on the way to work and on the way home from work rather than taking the time to actually have good nutrition and those sort of things. I didn't know anything about nutrition. The doctors don't know anything about nutrition. They do seven days of nutritional training in a seven-year medical course. Yes, I've heard that before and it's quite right that they do do so such little time on it. But that's a very graphic experience to crystallise one's thinking, if you like. How can we have people crystallise their thinking without going through something like that? Listening to other people, you know. I mean, that's one of the things, like my first business failed because I thought I knew everything and I didn't. And... When you're young, you're arrogant, you think, oh, well, I've passed my exam, so therefore I'm smart. I was one of the top kids in my graduating class at high school, so therefore I thought I was really smart. And then if you go to university, you realise you're surrounded by people who are way smarter than you because they're the cream of the cream. But I didn't like university. I pulled out of university. I said, I want to make a difference. I want to do something. I want to go into business. And I'm really smart. And I've met people in business as I'm buying a coffee or a sandwich or buying a car or whatever. I've met people in business. And they're not real smart. So I could do so much better. But, of course, all the knowledge I had came out of books and came from teachers, and teachers are employees, and my parents were employees. And I didn't really know anybody on a personal basis who owned a business and operated a business. And the skills that you need for owning a business are very, very different from being an employee. So I went into it with employee mindset and didn't know shit about business. 
So and being course, 10 foot tall and bulletproof really doesn't count. <laughs> exactly. It's like someone saying, I'm the greatest ping pong player in the world, but if you walk onto the rugby league field, you're going to get cramped because the <laughs> rules are different, you know? So that's one of my values is learning like you can never know everything. So you need to have good mentors. And even with my nutrition, I mean, I, I couldn't read enough books about nutrition to learn what I would learn from sitting with a mentor who's an expert in the field. And sitting with one of these guys for a couple of days, I would learn much more than I would learn in years and years and years of reading books because I met someone who's been doing nutrition for 40 years and spend a weekend with him. I've got distilled 40 years of knowledge in my head. You know? Which makes a huge difference to your understanding of what's going on and how this bit affects that. Yeah. It's all about cause and effect, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I had my rich dad experience when I was 19 or 20 years old by actually working with a guy who had been in business, you know, again, since he was a teenager. And he had 30, 40 years of being in business experience rather than all the academic knowledge that came out of books or all the knowledge of being an employee. And when you're an employee, you always think your boss is an idiot. And you're probably right, but they've just got a different education. You know, Henry Ford pronounced big words and he didn't read dictionaries, but he ran a, a huge empire and revolutionised the production line as, as we know it today. You probably think your boss is an idiot, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be smart enough to take over the business unless you actually have a really good mentor and you've got to learn a lot of good things. I mean, I've learned a lot of good things about health and wealth and relationships and spirituality and business from all of my mentors. And that's what I try and teach other people is, is what I've learned from those who've gone before. Indeed. And that boss who looks like an idiot might very well have a lot to teach you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Indeed. So that's good. We're learning about how to learn stuff. But Essentially, you now teach people interesting things. Tell us about what you try to help people learn. It's predominantly a lot of people will actually tell you that success is, is 80% mindset. And you hear that so often from so many different sources. And it's 80% of your belief system. And, you know, like Bruce Lee will say it and Robert Kiyosaki will say it or Richard Branson will say it. All these successful people say it's 80% mindset. And you go, okay. I know that, but how do I actually distill that? And for me, you know, I've met some of these guys. I've read a lot of the books. I couldn't afford to go and spend a weekend with Branson, so I read Branson's books and tapes and things, and eventually I got to go and see Branson and Tony Robbins and some of these guys. But, you know, when I only had a few dollars, I could buy a $10 book or a $30 book. But it's very difficult to change your mindset and your belief and who you are, your value system, by going in through the top of the head. And this is something I didn't actually understand until I, I'd sold my business and I went off for a few months because I was looking for happiness. You know, I had money, I had a good relationship, I had my health, but I wasn't happy on a daily basis. And I had, had an office down in the main street of the Sunshine Coast, financial planning office and overlooking the beach. And I didn't go to the beach every day, but I could see the beach every day. I'd see these guys walking past and they were surfers and they were hippies and that sort of stuff. And they always seemed really happy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sell a business. I'm going to go and spend some time with these guys and go, okay, they don't have any money. Well, they don't have much money, but they seem to be happy. And what do they know that I don't know? And from some of these relationships, I learned meditation. Okay, meditation seems to be really cool. 
and I'm going to dive into this. And I actually went, I had my diploma in financial planning. I went and studied a diploma in therapy as well, which is kind of like meditation on steroids. It's a meditation where you can actually put something into someone else's brain. And the subconscious is really, really powerful. Anybody who has actually driven a car will know this. Sometimes you jump in the car and you just sort of go, oh, I'm home. How did I get home? I don't remember changing lanes. I don't remember stopping at the traffic lights. And after you've driven a thousand times, particularly the same road, you just go into this trance and the conscious mind shuts off and the subconscious takes over. 90% of your brain is subconscious. And you've got that system for driving or you've got that system for showering. You're not in the shower going, do I wash my elbow first or my head first? Or, you know, in the shower, you're actually running on unconscious. And a lot of people have what they call a shower thoughts or the highway thoughts. They have this flash of inspiration and they go, oh, my God, I should do this. This is the, the answer to, to my life at this point. And that's because the, you're operating in the subconscious. You have these amazing inspiration and this intuition that, that kicks in. So by going in through deep meditation or hypnosis, you can actually change the mindset. Again, like, you know, I was raised by employees. My parents, mum and dad were both employees. And all through my schooling life, I was taught by employees who had never owned their own business. So I had this employee mindset and a fundamental unquestioned belief is when you're an employee, if you're earning, say, $10 an hour, the only way to make more money is to work more hours and do more hours and do more hours. And then when I started my first business, you know, I'm working 40 hours a week in my business. Unquestioned, unconscious belief was if I work more hours, I'll make more money. And to a certain extent, that's true. If my business is running 50, 60 hours a week, and the other guy's only running 40, I'm going to make more money. But then if I start working 70 and 80 hours a week, eventually it does take its hell on your health and on your relationships. And even if I work 100 hours a week, I'm not going to be making as much money as someone like Richard Branson or Elon Musk. They didn't get where they are by working all the hours with an employee mindset. So for me, changing the mindset is the, the real missing key that, that people don't have. And if you've watched the law of attraction and the secret and all this sort of stuff, you go, oh, I've just got to meditate and manifest a million dollars and it'll just drop in my lap. No, it doesn't drop into your lap. You've actually got to go out and do something. But first you change the belief system by your meditation or your hypnosis. And then you take different actions because the thing Richard Branson does on a daily basis is not the same as what the trolley boy guy does or the Uber driver does or the school teacher does. Very, very different. You've got a fundamental difference of opinion and difference of belief. I don't make more money by working more hours. In fact, I can actually be far more successful financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually by doing less. You're right. Uh, lots and lots of people have seen the movies, read the books, heard the stories, and they hear about change mindset, change mindset. How do you know where your mindset's set? Mostly it's unconscious. It's mostly by your parents for the first you know, four or five years till you go to school. And then it'll be primarily by your teachers, but also by your peers. And we go to school by postcode often in Australia. So it means that you're mixing with people in the same socioeconomic group. Or you go to school based on, you know, you're a Catholic and I'm a Methodist and, and whatever. So you're mixing with people who are essentially the same as you which doesn't challenge your thinking. It just reinforces this social conditioning. And, you know, the schooling system, if you think of a school of fish, school of fish is all the same fish swimming in the same direction. 
that the schooling system is designed to make everyone the same. If you're no good at maths, you work extra hard at maths. If you're no good at trigonometry or you know, English or whatever, they train you extra hard to be good at that. But you know, Henry Ford wasn't good at swinging a spinner. Richard Branson isn't good at flying planes. And there's some areas that I'm not particularly good at that rather than developing myself to be an expert on everything, that's where I hire someone else. So I can actually hire a coder to write that code for that website who can do it in like two hours, what would take me more than 24 hours to do. Do you mean that in small business you can actually not do everything? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of my businesses I started off because I thought I've got no money. I've only got a few hundred dollars. I will create my own website and that'll save me money. But that meant that I had to sit down and read books on how to code. And then six months later, when the, the internet changed and I had to change the coding, I, oh, I've forgotten all that stuff because I haven't used it in six months. You know, it was a waste of time for me to do that. And I'm like, I can't afford this guy, the local guy who charges $5,000 to change my website. But luckily on the internet, we're all connected now. So I can actually find out, oh, there's a guy in India who can do it for $200. And he doesn't do it $200 because it's a rubbish job. He does it $200 because he only needs $200 to live for a month in India. It's a different country, you know. And I ended up paying this Indian guy to do my website less than a tenth of what I could pay the local guy. And Indian guy did a better job. He put more things into the website. He put streaming video into there. So every time I uploaded the video to YouTube, it dropped into the back of my website which made Google realise my website was changing every week and it would rank me higher in the pages rather than just a static website that sits there from year to year unchanged. So he did a fabulous job. I'm like, I'm going to pay him double because he deserves it. He did a fabulous job and it was still significantly cheaper than what the other guy was doing. So I mean, a lot of people, you know, particularly someone who works with their hands, like a cabinet maker or a mechanic or a lawnmower or something like that, these guys are notoriously not good at doing book work. They don't like it. They don't enjoy it. They don't like sitting under a computer or sitting there with pieces of paper. They like being outdoors. They like working with their hands. That's why they started that business. And to do their own book work or to, to foist it onto their partner and say, oh, you're going to be my bookkeeper, love, that's terrible. Yeah, it creates all sorts of friction. Like to find a bookkeeper who will come around and do it. I used to do my own books. I'm guilty. You know, it used to take me all day. And first Wednesday of the month, I just say to everyone, don't talk to me. Don't come near me. Don't disturb me. I'm going to be focused on this and it'll be really, really grumpy and it would take me like eight hours to do and that would just be a write-up the first Wednesday of the month. And then when I got sufficient amount of money that I thought I could afford to pay someone to do this, and I called the bookkeeper and said, come around and do my books and she came in five to nine in the morning, she turned up, she went in, she had access to all of the stuff and I think it was about 10.15 when I walked in with a cup of coffee for her and said, here you go, love, this will keep you going. And she's like, no, I'm leaving. I, what do you mean? It's been like an hour and 20 minutes. And she said, yeah, I know, but I'm done. And I, this takes me eight or nine hours to do. She said, yeah, but this is all I do. I'm good at it. And I'm only going to charge you for an hour, even though I've been here for an hour and 20. And I was like, oh, my God, fantastic. Greatest investment of my life was getting an external bookkeeper to come in. And an excellent point you make there, because whilst you might have spent eight hours on it, probably cost yourself considerably more because of the angst that you created within yourself. Yeah, you're not presenting to your prospects, the happy-go-lucky fellow who knows everything that he should know about his business Yeah, uh, that they want to see. You're grumpy from bookkeeping. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. As I said before, like Richard Branson doesn't fly planes. He's not walking down the aisles handing down the, at, at the peanuts. He's got someone else to do that. And he just gets to report at the end of the week saying, this is what happened. This is how many peanuts we used. This is how many planes landed. That's all he needs to know. Precisely. <laughs> That's excellent points. Now, we've seen the movies. We've read the books. We've had a look and we've discovered our mindset is set here. Mm-hmm. How are we going to know where we want to set it? Well, that could possibly change on a daily or a weekly basis. It's Again, it's, it's whatever's important to you. And for me, growing up in a lower socioeconomic background, for me, it was all about the money. I just wanted money because I figured money would change my life. And, you know, I'd be able to travel the world. I'd be able to buy a big house and a fast car and all that sort of stuff. And then as you sort of accumulate those things or maybe you mature a little bit, you realise that relationships with other people are important and there's no point travelling the globe alone or having the fast car with no one who is actually in the passenger seat with you or a big house that no one ever visits. So relationships might become more important. Health might become important. It's whatever is, is of value to you on that day. And if you want to get the mindset for success, aim for holistic success so you don't fall into one of these holes because you're so focused on the moon that you're actually not looking out for the obstacle in your path. And that might be your health, that might be your relationships, it might be whatever it is. Indeed, I like the, the sound of that holistic examination of what's going on because it seems that the majority of us from reading the books and what have you, we're told we have to focus just on the business, which, of course, yeah. can lead to those issues of heart attack at 33. Yeah, yeah. Another analogy I use is, you know, I mean, there's coffee shops everywhere. You can't really throw a rock 100 metres without finding a coffee shop. But if you go to a coffee shop and there's someone who's there who's stressed, who's grumpy, who looks like they're a little bit ill, they're coughing into the crook of their elbow, and they've just had a fight with their partner that morning, and their coffee is $4. And then you go along another 100 metres and you find someone who's bright and bubbly and happy and looks healthy and is happy to see you, but their coffee is $5. And I ask people, like, which coffee would you buy? The one that's closer, that's cheaper, or the one that's a little bit further away and a little bit more expensive? And invariably, 100% of the time, people say, I'd buy the $5 coffee. So, right. So maybe focusing on health and happiness and, and spirituality and that sort of stuff can actually bring you in the money you want because people are going to pay more for a better experience. Indeed. It all comes back to that experience. It's providing that experience to people and allowing them to enjoy it. Funny how we like to enjoy stuff, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Most people have a lot going on in their lives. You know, you talk to anyone and you ask them really, really how they're going. A lot of people say that they have stress. have stress, they have anxiety, they have depression, they have whatever. So any little bright and, and bubbly bit that you can bring into their life, they're going to be willing to pay you for. So you could be the shining beacon, be the one happy person in the community and Indeed. whatever service that you're bringing, doesn't matter, service with a smile. That will be the experience. Enthusiasm is perhaps the most in- contagious thing going around. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, was it the Beatles who said that, that money can't buy you happiness or money can't buy you love? But... I've found in my life that happiness can buy you money. Mm. Just yeah. being the one happy person that, that people talk to, an inspiring person and, and person who knows a little bit more about balancing things than what they do. It all comes back to the same coin, which side are you looking at? Mm. So as long as we can focus on the things that we really, really want and understand what we really, really want, 
so that we don't deliver ourselves a heart attack chasing money. <laughs> if we chase the, the good things that we want in our life, chances are money's going to turn up. Is that how it works? Absolutely. I mean, when I had the heart attack, like I was always running around, running around and trying to bring in new clients all the time. And afterwards, after I had the heart attack, I had some time to sit down for a few months and think, okay, what am I going to do now? I said to someone, I felt like I was running around trying to catch butterflies. I had a net in both hands. and I was always trying to catch these butterflies and then put them inside this thing and they'd find a little hole and they'd work their way out. And I've lost a client. I have to go and catch two more clients now. I'm running around, running around all the time. But after sitting down for a few months, you know, recuperating and thinking about my life and putting things in perspective, so what if I just build a beautiful garden and the butterflies will come to me? And then the next question became, how do I design a business that people will actually flock to? They will want to be dealing with me rather than me chasing them down and telling them how wonderful my business is. They will just show up and they will just know. So I had a few months to think about it, had a few months to plan. And I created this business that was my happy little butterfly garden and clients would come to me. And interestingly enough, one of my clients who was of my previous business came to me and went, oh, my God, this is so fantastic. I'm so happy you did this. And he said to me, I never said anything, but he said, I used to watch you writing things down when we were having a meeting and I could see the whites on your knuckles. I knew you were stressed, but it wasn't my place to tell you, hey, you're too stressed. He said, it's great to see you looking really happy. And people who bought my first book, which came out in 2005, 2006, if you have a look at the picture of me on the inside front cover, I look like I'm 50. <laughs> I was 32, <laughs> 33 years old. And I look at that photo now and I think, I look better now than I did 20 years ago. Yep. So healthier and happier and younger. Indeed. And I like to hear you talk about the foundations, building the right foundations. I've seen lots of scoffing at the concept of build it and they will come. Mm. But it works, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's just doing things a little bit different. Like I'm not being sponsored by Richard Branson, but I'll mention him a couple of times this <laughs> <laughs> If you go to it's an easy like, target. Yeah. If you go to the Qantas or whatever, there's a like a baggage carousel and it says, you know, keep off or keep away or whatever. You know, make sure no children go near this. There's all warning signs. But when you go to the Virgin section, there's this sign that says free carousel rides, baggage only. And it makes me smile, right? I look at that and go, that's a little bit different. Rather than the legal warning that they have to have that's kind of scary, go away. It's like a little thing that makes you smile. And even like with Richard's different businesses, with Virgin Money and Virgin Credit Cards, even the legal stuff that they have to put in there because it's financial services and it's legalese jargon, they even have a bit of a laugh at that. And they say, this is the bit our lawyers told us we have to write. And if you can create a fun business where people enjoy actually reading the fine print or people enjoy coming in through the front door, there's a great book called How to Build the Happiness-Centered Business by Dr. Patty Lund. He was a, a dentist in, I think he was in Brisbane. And if you don't know, dentists are the highest risk for suicide of any practitioner. It's, it's weird. And Dr. Paddy Lund, he had a few of his friends who had died and taken their own lives. And they're working hard. They've got lots of money. They've got the big house and the big car and all that sort of stuff. And they go and throw themselves under a bus. So he decided to build a happiness-centered business. And he didn't advertise. There was no signs on the outside saying it was a dentist. He had no business cards with his phone number on it. 
and he just decided to create a business that would really make people happy going to the dentist. Like, that was groundbreaking. And, of course, people who are happy going to the dentist are going to tell their friends about this dentist. Now, he charged more, sure, but people were happy to pay because they were happy to go. Much better outcomes. They were happy when they went in. They were happy when they came out. Yeah. <laughs> and yet the job doesn't change. It's the experience, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I went from working 16, 18 hours a day to working only six hours a day. And so I was seeing significantly less clients. I would charge them a little bit more, but I'll provide a much better experience. And not only did they stay, but they also brought their friends. And of course, fewer customer service issues. Absolutely. So that's been really enlightening, but there's one part you haven't talked about, and it's not uh, specifically part of your business, but it's something that I've found helps business enormously. And I think that you probably practice meditation and you probably practice it on a daily basis. If you do, how does daily meditation affect business? It certainly makes things a lot clearer. And I've done a few of these type of interviews, particularly after my first book came out and a few other things. I predicted the GFC two years before the GFC happened. So, of course, after the GFC, everybody wanted to talk to me. And I was doing one of these interviews and the producers of the show actually said, we want you to start your own show. And I said, I can do about, you know, an hour of talk, but I can't do a weekly show. I just can't commit to that. I don't have enough knowledge. And they said, we'll interview other people who are smarter than you, like what Oprah does, right? So I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I ended up running this radio show in New York for two years. And I got to talk to amazing people. I got to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Tim Ferriss and all these like really, really peak of their industry people. Some of them had bounced back from cancer and some of them had bounced back from bankruptcy and some of them made millions and billions of dollars. And people that I, I couldn't afford to talk to, I was actually talking to. And I'd sort of recently discovered meditation and it changed my life dramatically. And so I just went ahead with this theory that this must be what everybody else knows but they don't talk about because it's changed my life so much. So I'm assuming that all these millionaires and billionaires and amazing people, they must all be meditators. They just don't tell anybody. So every single guest I had on the show, every single one, like 100 people, I would not ask them if they meditated. I would say, what type of meditation do you do? I just assumed that they did. And I found absolutely 100% of them all were meditators. Arnold started doing transcendental meditation in the 1970s. And he would meditate while he was in the gym, while he was doing arm curls. He would be meditating. Tim Ferriss is a Vipassana meditator. Rachel, her last name escapes me for the moment, but she wrote the four ingredients books and sold millions of copies mm -hmm. all around the world. Yep. I asked her and she said, I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews all around Europe, all around UK, all around America. No one's ever asked me if I'm a meditator. I went, cool, I'm the first person. And she was a meditator as well. And I said, all of these people, they weren't talking about it, but they all did it. And it was one of those sort of best-kept secrets of Hollywood celebrities is they were all meditators. They just all did a different thing. Some people, swimming is meditation for them or jogging because when you're running, you experience that runner's high and you're not thinking about work while you're running or while you're swimming. You just get into that zone where your brain relaxes and goes, okay, now I can see things clearly because when you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're concerned, you're only based on short-term decision-making. You're not looking long-term. And that's why 
going for a long drive on the highway or having a shower will actually bring these thoughts to your mind because your mind is totally relaxed or you'll have a dream sometime. I go down to a float tank as well. If anybody hasn't done a float tank, do a float. Find one that doesn't have the lid that closes over if you're claustrophobic. There's a couple around town here where it's basically a giant room that you step into so it doesn't actually close around you. But float tank I found was just amazing and meditating in a float tank when there's no light, there's no sound, there's, you get a weightless feeling, you're tripping off around the universe. It's like drugs, man. <laughs> but even people who take drugs say they get a different perspective. It's like being outside of your body and looking down on your life and being able to see where to go next. And anybody who plays a computer game knows that it's, it's better to be able to see what's coming up before the actual little action figure sees it. It just gives you that perspective on life and also being in touch with your body. And that's part of meditation. When you're not thinking, the subconscious actually speaks to you and the body speaks to you. And if there is a little precursor to illness, you know, because you don't just get a flu instantly and you're instantly falling over, there's a little thing that creeps up on you over a few days. But if you're in touch with your body, you can feel what's going on. And your intuition about other people is also better. And I've gotten to stage with repeated meditation. I did over 1,500 sunrise meditations on the Sunshine Coast on the beach. And I get to the stage where it was almost like mind breathing because you become more in tune with the slightest little quiver of a lip or the squint of an eye when you ask a client a question. And I'd start to ask them really deep questions when they come in and they'd be asking for business advice. And I'd say, well, tell me about your liver disease. And I'd say, how did you know I had liver disease? Well, just tell me about it. Don't worry about how I knew, you know. And one lady said, how old were you when your mum died? And she's like, how did you know my mum died? I said, I could just kind of tell. And then she's cried and she told me about how her mum died when she was little and it really affected her life. I can see that. It's on your face. And these are the sort of it provides you a, a different perspective, a clarity which allows you to move forward more quickly simply because you can see better. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my meditation guru, Lama, he says that meditation is slowly going sane. <laughs> I like and it. <laughs> knowing the crazy world that we live in, slowly going sane is, is a good thing. My definition is making the unconscious conscious. And so for me, it was a lot of programming that I picked up in my youth that work hard and you'll be successful, work a lot of hours and you'll make money. I didn't, I didn't have those conscious thoughts, but they were running my life. And when the unconscious came into the conscious, then I could question those beliefs. And a lot of people have these beliefs that are like religion. You're just told this is what we believe and you don't question it. But as an adult, you can go, hang on a second, is that right? And is everybody else wrong? Maybe I like to start to look at the results they're getting and the results that I'm getting. Is there a different way of doing things? But yeah, definitely perception, clarity, perspective. Meditation gives you a lot of things and reduces a lot of things. There's no more fear. There's no more uncertainty. There's no more anxiety. There's no more depression. There's no more being ruled by your emotions. These sort of things. The ability to determine your own path is a pretty handy thing. Absolutely. And it is different for everyone. So as I say, it might even change. Like you might have been on the same path for 20 years, and if so, good for you. You've discovered what was good for you early on. But when I was 19, I didn't know what I wanted to be. And some of my friends, like when they were 12, they were taking subjects in school because they knew they wanted to be a chiropractor when they left school. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, even when I was 30, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, I've got no idea what I'm going to be doing in 10 years' time. 
absolutely no clue. The world will unfold. The world will change. Technology will change. Scientific advances might change. I might be doing something completely different. But it's being able to adapt whatever life brings to you and being able to see things from a clearer perspective. That is absolutely excellent advice, Jeremy, and delighted to see that it it has worked so well for you because, yeah, if that heart attack at 33 had come back, you're not here. (laughs) (laughs) I try to avoid heart attacks and I try to, as much as I can, advise other clients to not have the health scare, whether it's heart attack or cancer or stroke or, you know, crashing a car or whatever it is. If you're not paying attention, then the universe will give you a wake-up call. So I say, hey, pay attention, have a look at your life, have a look at where you think you want to be, and that's okay to have a five-year plan and change it after two years. But if where you think you want to be is in a big house with the fast car and with all the money, then say, well, who else is there? You know, Perhaps the people that you want to share things with when you get there are the people that you should be bringing along for the ride now. And that's about you know building a team and delegating. For me, it was a made in India and someone in Fiji and someone in foreign countries was what I could afford at the time. But some of these people I'm still in contact with 20 years later and they have become trusted advisors on different areas of multiple businesses that I've had too. In their area of specialty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. So as we get to the end of our business conversation, Jeremy, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Many years ago, there used to be this little thing of wearing a bracelet. It was WWJD, what would Jesus do? And at the time, I applauded that because there was a lot of Christians out there who would say horrible things against the gays and say horrible things against Muslims and that sort of stuff. And I looked down at the bracelet and go, what would Jesus do? Because the church might have been against other belief systems But Jesus wasn't. Jesus was accepting of everybody and loved everybody, the Greeks and the Romans and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and whatever. So that was a real clarifying point. And through my studies of different mentors, yeah, I mean, Bill Gates is either the richest man in the world or the third richest man in the world, depending on what day it is. But would you want to have a beer with Bill Gates? Like, he's a bit nerdy. He's a bit awkward, right? So that's where I, I went through all the you know, successful, financially successful people and just had a look at them and said, who would I want to have a beer with? And for me, it turned out it was Branson, okay? You know, Branson, his hair's a bit long and he's a bit goofy, and but he looks like he's having a really good time. He doesn't have a tenth of the money of what Bill Gates has got, but he looks like a fun guy that you'd enjoy hanging out with. And so I just came up with this little thing, what would Branson do? WWBD. And... <laughs> yeah, if it's got to be fun, it's not just let's make a business and make it massively profitable. It's got to be fun. And Branson's got hundreds of businesses that he doesn't work in. As I say, he's not flying planes. He's not bottling water. He's not doing whatever the other things are. He's got other people to do that. And he shares the wealth with those people. And so not only is he a billionaire himself, but he's made many other people billionaires and made many other people millionaires. And he's still got friends from like 30, 40 years ago. I'm not sure if Bill Gates does that. I don't know Bill personally, nothing against Bill, but I wouldn't want to have a beer with him. So what would Branson do in any particular situation, whether it's someone says, hey, let's go on holidays for a week. Oh, no, I've got to work, I've got to work. Well, maybe create a business where you can go on holidays for a week and there's still money coming in. You know, create a lifestyle. We've got Zoom and we've got Skype and we've got this sort of stuff so you can still meet with clients, but just meet them from wherever you are. I ran my business for a couple of years from Bali 
I ran my business for 12 years from beach in the Sunshine Coast. 90% of my clients I never met because we have this ability now. And why not be in a tropical beach somewhere if you can? You know, what would Branson do? <laughs> Perhaps you'd be on a tropical beach somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> having fun. What is the top piece of advice you'd like to leave with listeners today, Jeremy? I would say that your abundance is built by your education and very deliberately not saying schooling from the schooling system. Education that we used to have you know, 200 years ago before the current schooling system came in was where you'd actually choose, I'm really interested in this. This is what I want to find out. And education comes from the same root as seduce, E-D-U-C. It's drawing out. It's drawing out what's already there. I'm very passionate about health, so I'll go and spend whatever I need to spend time and money and resources to find out about health and then come back and share it with others. So educate yourself on the areas that you're not familiar with, but make it fun. Right? You can read a dusty old textbook on health and nutrition, or you can actually go and find someone who's already really, really good at that and hang out with them, find out what you need to do. Like, as I said, I couldn't afford to spend money to spend time with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Richard Branson or Tim Ferriss. But when I created a platform like a podcast or a, you know interview series or whatever, I could get their time for free. And they were happy to give it because they knew that it was being shared with an audience. So find out whatever you need to find out, do whatever you need to do and make it fun. Like the idea behind my first book was how do I take the complicated world of investment and shares and property and financial planning and make that kind of fun and, and easy? Not necessarily sexy, but <laughs> at least easy. And anybody who's walked down a supermarket shelf and they go, okay, well, that soap is $4 and that soap is $5 and this toothpaste is whatever. But they can quickly do the maths in their head and go, okay, well, that soap's $5, but it's actually a lot bigger than the $4 one. So they can do that kind of math when they're shopping. Anybody can do that, whether they're buying apples or bananas or dresses or cars or whatever. You know, you buy a car that gets a lot better mileage, it's going to work out to be a lot cheaper than the one that goes through, you know, 50 miles for every gallon. So if you can use those same skills and change them across and say, okay, let's look at this investment property. This one costs more than the other one, but the maintenance is going to be less or the rent is going to be higher. This stock or share costs more than the other one but the returns are likely to be better. You've already got those skills. You just need to transfer them across. And again, if you're passionate about having a lot of money, I'll send you a free copy of my book. That's okay. Passionate about having a lot of health, then I've got another book all about that. I'll give you that for free. You know, but grab the knowledge, make it fun, make it sexy, and share it with other people. Because they used to say that thing, do what you love and the money will follow. And if that was true, you could just do what you love, then all of us would be sitting at home watching Netflix on the couch and eating chips and we'd all be millionaires, right? Because you can't do what you love and the money follows. That's not true. The, the corrected adage is share what you love and the money will follow. So if you love watching Netflix and eating chips, then write reviews of all the shows that you watch. Become a movie reviewer and you'll get paid for that, you know? Whatever you do, if you like making things, creating things, don't fill your house with a thousand bloody whatever widgets. You share them with other people and other people go, hey, this is a great widget. You might have to give a few away because I'll give a few books away. I'll give away hundreds of books and then someone will come back and they'll buy one you know, because they like it so much they'll actually pay money for it. So share what you love and research what you love 
you can be a lifelong learner. You know, put an L plate around your head and say, I'm going to be learning forever. As I go, I'm going to be teaching those who came before me because the greatest qualification you need to be a kindergarten teacher is to have graduated grade one. You're going to know more than the kids in kindergarten. Yeah. And if you finish high school, you know more than the kids in primary school. So you're not going to be as smart as a university professor, but if you finish high school, you can teach somebody else. And that's what I do. There's a lot of other people who, again, they might have more money than me, they might have more, more grey hair than me, but they haven't spent the years invested in a particular area that I'm good at. And I'm not particularly good at bookkeeping, as I've said several times, but you know, that's what I'll outsource and I'll pay someone else for that and there'll be someone else who'll be willing to pay me for what I know and what I share. So and, there you uh, go, two tips and in one. Excellent advice. But most importantly, before we let you go, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? My business, when I designed my beautiful butterfly garden, was based on working six hours a day, uh, just school hours so I could spend time with my kids and not working Fridays because no one likes Fridays. So it worked 24 hours a week instead of the usual 50 or 60. So it's number two, number four, H-O-U-R, 24hourwealthcoach.com. And on social media, it's just 24-hour wealth on the Twitters and on the Facebooks and that sort of stuff. 24-hour wealth obviously started with just me working 24 hours a week, but also encompassed the holistic lifestyle of being wealthy 24 hours a day, not just having a great business, but having a great home life and great health and happiness as well. Jeremy, this has been absolute fun and tremendously informative, and I hope our listeners are able to grasp all of the, at least some of the things that you've been talking about because everything that you've mentioned has been proven time and time again to give us absolutely great results. So good on you for being the personification of all of that and for sharing that with us. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Share on YouTube, Clive. Go nuts. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.